You, my friends, are listening to the Punk Theology Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Shaw. The Punk Theology Podcast is coming to you from Seattle, Washington, at the peak of the rainy season. Is it no wonder why the grunge rock, alternative rock scene was birthed from this area? We are also the home of Microsoft and other big tech companies like Amazon. Right now there's teams of humans hard at work at getting machines to do the heavy lifting for us. Like this machine, which is here to inform you good Christian moral folk about what you're in for listening to the Punk Theology Podcast today. This audio recording may include inappropriate references, excessive profanities, and potentially unsuitable material for younger children. There, you've been officially warned. We've all had our mouths washed out with soap. More than our fair share. We also, uh, we, we like our share of blues here in the Seattle area. But you know how you could cheer us up? You could follow us on social media. <laughs> uh, actually, fuck social media. What you could do to really cheer us up is join us in this mission. Like our listener Carlton, who gives monthly to the Punk Theology Podcast via patron. He is a Patreon sinner saint. He's also got his name on the wall in the studio. If you'd like to have your name on the wall of the studio and to uh, help us on this mission as we uh, venture out into the deep web, <laughs> the far quarters of the world with this message of punk theology. Um, man, we'd love to have you along and listeners like you, seriously, make this thing happen eventually. So, punktheology.com, click on the donate button, or you can search for us on Patreon. Just kidding, though. Following us on social media would be awesome, too. Punk Theology Pub on Facebook. PunkTheology.com And you can follow us on Twitter at PunkTheologyPod And don't forget to search Punk Theology on Snapchat. Episode 38, we are talking about sad, the blues... And the very real suffering of depression. Right. You're not getting to the roots. You're just too busy trying. Or up you here. say a word and they go, "Oh, I know how to fix that," but they haven't actually dug into anything. Yeah, they just, new they just slapped it. a label over the top of it and treated like they treat everything else. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know this construct that I have that God is this loving Father 
Oh, but he'll send you to eternal yeah. darkness and yeah. damnation forever. Oh, yeah. But he loves you. Yeah. You know, it's just fucked the up. The schizophrenic Janus face God that yeah. is that system. Yeah. yeah. And I grew up gets in you some whiplash, of man. It's like, what? Yeah. And I, and I didn't know what to do with myself. Like, uh, oh, I guess I'm going to hell. Might as well go for it. And that's part of why a lot of people are listening to this podcast, too, is people that are kind of gravitating towards this this idea of deconstructing their faith or, or realizing the, the parts of it that aren't working. and When you shift, it moves. It's yeah. so hard oh, yeah. to explain until you've gone through it. Like, yeah. no, I've left the fucking building. Like, yeah. I... I Questions. That's why this this talk is important because some of those folks are dealing with depression and they don't know whether they should see a doctor because getting sure. pills is or sinful or whatever their church believes. They're trying to hold it together, keep it together. Yeah, be obedient, John. The big D. And it's <laughs> raining. We're here in Derek's garage. And Nobody hear raindrops <laughs> Nobody wants in the background. It's very fitting mm-hmm. that it's actually raining as we're... We're in depressive we're, Seattle. We're yeah. in depressive Seattle. It's been, it's been gray outside for 172 days. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're reaching the peak of the gray, cloudy, dark raininess. It got dark today at like 445. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the sun went down at and... 5.30, but yeah, it got dark at 4.45. That's right. Yep. We, uh, I was telling some, I'm an Uber and Lyft driver, and I was telling some tourists today, we were driving across the 99 bridge, and I was pointing out the fence across the bridge, because the Aurora Bridge in Seattle is the second most jumped off bridge, or was, next to the Golden Gate Bridge in uh, San Francisco. Um... But now there's a 15-foot fence across it that was privately funded, mostly by Adobe, which is underneath it. But yeah, it's, 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 it's true. We're they talking, it's true. Their HR department literally said, we've lost 7% of our workforce a year due to people witnessing yeah. suicides. It will be cheaper to pay for a fence than it will be to replace these people. And, and people are going to counseling. Like This one woman was talking about, she saw personally saw five people jump off the bridge because her office... Window is facing the bridge. There goes another. It's like, one. oh, there's somebody landing. Dude, that's a, a legit workers' comp claim. It is. It it is. is. No doubt. Yeah. It's, yeah. Comp, yeah. Sure. It's a. It's a serious thing. Yeah. I don't want to come into work. Why? Because I watched someone die last week. Yeah. That's the week before. <laughs> that's a thing working here, right? And so they built a fence, which was smart, I think. Yeah. How do you guys take vitamin D? I do. I do. It doesn't seem I do. to do a damn thing. I know. I mean, you got to get the prescription it. stuff, man. Yeah. You like 50,000 units. I've also you take read, it once a week. I've read I some stuff about food. that, and that's yeah. not so good. Does that do like, something? What, you what it does to your organs. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. You're not supposed What's to use week? that much. <laughs> 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 they give it to you if you have... Taper it down. Yeah. Damn. Well, they'll give you that big shot in your ass if you're, like, super deficient. That's... I don't know if it... It's one of those things where it's not the cure... But it's probably it's a thing to do. It's an effective, cheap placebo. 
Yeah. Or it does a little. Yeah, it, it takes a little bit of its share right. of, of a bigger picture thing, and that I think especially for around here, about, we just don't get enough vitamin D. Yeah. I think about the depression thing. It, part of it is that it's there are so many factors that lead mm-hmm. to what yeah. to depression. And honestly, like I'm flying pretty high this week with this new job that I'm going to be starting in another week and. Arthur's having a hard time talking about depression. <laughs> no, because no, I just told his boss to shove it, take this job and shove it, and got another job with a bump in pay. So, yeah, this is it's good news. He bought us beer. He bought us beer. <laughs> Black Butte Porter, which I used to call Black Butt for the longest time until my daughter corrected me. But what were you saying? What I was saying was <laughs> this high I'm riding, I, I really do think it's riding over the existing depression. Like, like a wave on top of it? Yeah, like like I'm not sure I'm not depressed. I just don't know that the that the symptoms of depression are currently showing. Right. Um, while I think that my job situation prior was contributing, I'm not sure that resolving that is the only key to coming out of that. But at least right now, I can't really tell because I'm just too excited about this new opportunity. So your new job is the coke you took to cancel out all the whiskey you just pounded? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> or right. just the coke I took to deal with the depression. <laughs> like, this, this doesn't actually have to be a full Well, that's balance. what the whiskey was for, is to deal with the depression. So. Uh, or on a philosophical level, you're not depressed right now until the honeymoon's over. And every job has a honeymoon. Every well, situation. So that depends on how you define depression, right? Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Is it only the symptoms that come out? Yeah. Or is it the underlying cause? Yeah. Exactly. I went through a... I was so... Causes. I was going to... Before I get started, I'll hand it off to Derek. This was kind of his, uh, his baby this week. But uh, I wanted to read some statistics because this is, this is just mind-blowing, some of the stuff. Um, major depressive... Def- this is just here in the United States. Um, major depressive disorder affects approximately 14.8 million American adults or about 6.7% of the U.S. population, 18 and older. Um, It's from the archives of general psychiatry back in 2005. Um, While major depressive disorder can develop at any age, the medium age is about, for onset, is about 32 years old. Hmm. And that that is the U.S. Census Bureau is the uh, source on that. Major depressive disorder is more prevalent in women than it is in men. The Journal of American Medical Association, 2003. Um, as many as 1 in 33 children and 1 in 8 adolescents, 1 in 8 adolescents, that's uh, teenagers, suffer from uh, clinical depression. That's from the uh, Center of Mental Health, U.S. Department of Human Services, 1996. Uh, and then it goes on to to talk about all these different health risks that are higher for people who suffer from depression, uh, like heart attack, cancer, strokes. Uh, so it's it's a serious topic that we're we're attacking today, and and uh, just wanted to throw it out there. We we keep the show kind of comedic, and we have fun with it. We do talk about some pretty deep subjects, but this is one that's you know. That's close to all of our hearts here, and, and uh, anyway, hand, handing it off to to Derek. 
Thanks. With the heaviness. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the heaviness. Uh, yeah, so I brought this up because I've been honestly struggling for about two months. And it's going to be weird talking about this because I... To quote one of my favorite characters from a video game, I know you can't tell by the inflection of my voice, but I'm actually incredibly depressed. Right. <laughs> um, so, so talking about it, yeah, like I, I, it's weird because right now I'm kind of excited about talking about it, but um, but the last two months have been really bad. I had cyclical depression since I was 14. Uh, started seeing a shrink when I was 15, 16. Took a bunch of medication for a while. It kind of helped a little bit, maybe. Um, October 2000, and no, that's probably really bad. September 2016, it got really, really bad. Probably the worst it's been in a long time. Uh, and I went in, and uh, due to some other symptoms that I'd been dealing with, got uh, started exploring the idea that I was bipolar. So I took some medication for that, and that seemed to really perk me up and really helped a lot. Were you ever diagnosed, like professionally diagnosed with yeah. bipolar disorder? Okay. Well, wait, with bipolar? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> kind of, sort of. <laughs> like, like, yes, my... Like, I don't know what that even looks like. I didn't see mm. it written on a piece of paper. But I went to a psychologist and then a psychiatrist, and both of yeah. them said, yes, let's try treating you for bipolar disorder, and then... They said, oh, this appears to be working, you're probably bipolar. So I guess, <laughs> I guess, like, right? Like, nobody ever said, yes, you're definitely bipolar. Interesting. But they give me the drugs every month, so... Right. <laughs> so you didn't go through a, a series of therapists, like, a, a, a week's worth of therapy, or five days, or usually they try and diagnose you? Nope. Sometimes wow. I just feel like doctors just throw drugs at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and, and part of it is the challenge of quantifying a disorder like bipolar it's right. it's challenging it's you know you don't do a blood test and be like hey you yeah. am bipolar yeah yeah well it's not something you talk about right and the fact that you're willing to come out tonight um, I, I applaud you for that uh, hopefully feeling safe enough that yeah that's a big factor yeah um, but yeah and it's yeah it's one of those I mean it's probably got more stigma than depression like you say, I'm bipolar, and people freak the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and mine's pretty damn light. Like even the medication I'm on is pretty low dose, um, which is kind of scary because it really affects me severely. And I think about the people that are taking like twenty times what I'm taking. But it's not really doing much right now. So, and I know you've been talking about interactions with it too. So I, yeah, I'm sure you're gonna end up. Um, I, th- I mean, a big part of it's a dosing thing. Uh, so, so probably about two months ago, I started feeling pretty down again. But I thought it was because of the lifestyle choices that I had started making. Yeah, you were uh, talking about eating tons of carbs yeah, and sugar. Yeah, like and, eating shit. So I've been. Yeah, and that will bum you out. Right, really good. <laughs> and I true. and I saw so you know I took the whole Christmas season, pretty much everything between Thanksgiving and New Year, and just like totally gave up on all of my being good. You know, slept shitty hours and and ate a bunch of sugar and you know drank here and there and smoked here and there and and all the things that I wasn't doing. So I figured like, oh, that's it, right? Like clearly, this is why I feel like shit. Um, and then New Year is totally cold turkey, and I expected. Um, it usually takes you know a couple of days. Like 
it's amazing, especially with like sugar. There really is like a genuine hangover. Like, like you get like urges oh, yeah. and like, mm-hmm. like I got it. Like mm-hmm. my mood takes fix. Right. So, give so, me a Snickers bar. I, and again, that's what I figured was going on. Like six, seven days, and then I just never pulled up. No. Like I was, like you know, had my hand on the throttle and was just giving it all I could. Like I'm really gonna be good. I'm gonna straighten this out and just lagged and lagged and lagged and lagged and lagged. And I got and then yeah. So um, recently I upped my dose of medication, and there was a huge bump right away. Oh, cool. But at the same time, I'm also kind of in this up and down flux mm-hmm. yeah. of it. Um, and and. Uh, and there, I've, part of the depression, like I'm, I was having, I was having depression over being depressed because mm. I really had gotten to a point subconsciously where I thought I'd figured it out, um, and then I, you know, cured it. And I didn't, I wouldn't have told you that to your face if you'd asked me. I told, I would have told you, no, this is, you know, a really complicated thing. I'll probably go up and down again, but not really realizing that down deep, I, I had a lot of hope that this was just going to go away, right. and then I figured it out and then did not get a response out of all the things that have that have been working that you know I, I had a system and then all of a sudden like this is just not doing what the system told me it was going to do right um and so that and that so and then honestly in terms of scale like i'm probably 40 50 percent as depressed as i was back in 2016 uh but just the fact that i am depressed hit me really hard uh, and also like I hadn't been depressed in like a year so and that was even like it took me a while to even figure out what the fuck was going on like like the idea which is, just seems crazy to me like it's weird but that's kind of what it's like when you're in depression like you're kind of in this funk your brain doesn't quite work right you can't diagnose things very well um, so like now that I've started there's interest in, in the things that you're usually passionate about and stuff like that yeah like I use I was interested in everything like I want to come home put on my weighted break blanket that I got for Christmas <laughs> and like I can't even watch like TV like I don't even care about TV mm-hmm. I want to stay at the like I don't even I want to be unconscious that's mm-hmm. what I want I want to just sleep until it's for gone. 23 <laughs> hours and 15 minutes a day yeah. and then wake up for 45 minutes and do it again the next day like that's what it feels like mm. I don't want to hang out with people I don't want to be around my kids it's I don't want to do a damn thing I just want and that's mean, 45% of where you were yeah. Jesus Christ yeah. <laughs> that's suffering man yeah. yeah so and yeah so and it and it just, I mean, and I get why they call it bipolar because it feels like a totally fucking different person. Like, so like does it does it last a week and then you you swing back the pendulum swings the other way? Is no, it, this was two know, months down. Two months, yeah. Yeah, I was, and sometimes it does. Like, I'll be down for a week or two, and I can just make some tweaks. Yeah. But this just wasn't responding. Do you remember that been. period of time where you were fearing this and you were talking about how you were going through a really extended. Okay. High period. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting for the shoe to drop. Yeah. 
and I'm not I'm not a professional psychologist. I've listened to a shit ton of psychologists. You play one on a podcast. I do. I play one on a podcast. <laughs> but I have. I'm not a moron either, and I've listened to a shit ton of, of psychological fucking material. And I'll tell you that if, if you've been down for two months, that's probably not bipolar disorder. That's that's something else. That's that's depression. Well, I mean, so it's the a pendulum it's a doesn't com- usually swing that long. And there's a so it's, there's a thing called hypomania and and hypodepression, which does kind of act like that. And it's much more sick. It's called God. What's it called? Rapid cycling hypomania, which is typically followed. So. And the general rule of thumb is however long you're manic, you kind of pay for a depression later. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah. it's not classic bipolar. Yeah. Um, but, and, but I... And, and honestly, like, trying to put words to it is really hard. Yeah, it's like it trying is. to put words... And all the labels, sometimes they do more damage just because... Right. You're not getting to the roots. You're just too busy trying yeah. up Or you here. see a word and they go, oh, I know how to fix that, but they haven't actually dug into anything. Yeah, they just, new ones they just to slapped it. a label over the top of it and treated like they treat everything else. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, and it's, you know, it's kind of like autism, right? Like it's a spectrum. Yeah. Like you can't just slap a label on it and, and say everybody that has this behaves the same way. Right. So are you able to communicate with, uh, with your wife? What you're experiencing? Yeah, I mean, feeling? mostly just a lot of like, I'm just really down. Yeah, like, like telling the lack of motivation, the and that not just the motivation too, but just the or the enjoyment of, like you were referencing, Ross, but also that uh, that enjoyment level of of just the drive, where what makes you you, the you know the things you yeah. even value about yourself, like start to go right. away. Yeah, and that's and I think that's one of the things that. When you, when you don't even recognize yourself, that amplifies it. That 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 that's there's a feedback loop to that. Where like, when you're good, you're like, I enjoy being me. I enjoy who I am as an individual. I enjoy interacting with other people that I appreciate. And when all that goes away, and you don't recognize yourself, that part is really hard to struggle through. Yeah. Well, two thirds of my in-house family suffer with. Uh, depression my wife and my and my youngest and my wife has a very difficult time expressing it because it's something she feels that she should be able to deal with mm-hmm. and especially uh, being in the medical field uh, and my struggle is to continually tell her it's safe tell me I don't want you to walk through this alone and that's the same with my wife have you ever become uh, suicidal no I haven't my sister struggled with it and my yeah, I have some people around me that have. Um, yeah, not, I mean, like, fleeting thoughts here and there, but yeah. never anything really serious. My wife and daughter both had yeah. And they had, they figured out, they would crash a car. Yeah. Together? No. Oh. My, so my daughter was away at college. I remember you saying that. Yeah, and she just right. came out and told me. And uh, her and I's relationship has become more, my whole goal now is just to make it a safe environment for anybody. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be um, condemning. I want to hope it's a safe place. Because you look at guys, especially dudes that struggle with it, they're not going to talk about it. Yeah, and that's, that's half the thing. It's yeah. just being able to talk that's, about it. You know, yeah. just the fact that you're willing to throw that out here tonight. Um, yeah, I I'm, can't applaud you enough. If you actually, like, go do an activity with your family or with friends... 
maybe I'll ask you when the night's over or tomorrow after, you know, as a post-mortem to this. Like, do you, do you find that you enjoy it if, like, you kind of force yourself or somebody really encourages you to do something? Or is it just bland? Or do you actually regret it? Like, how does it fall in that spectrum of if you can actually muster the, the discipline and energy to do something? I can enjoy things, but it's like 10% of what it would be normally. So I have to like, so we went up to visit a college recently uh, with our exchange student up at Western Washington University as a family outing. And my wife told me about it, and I was like, when you're depressed, like every, it doesn't matter what anybody asks you to do, it always feels like they're asking you to do a chore. It doesn't matter how fun it is, how much you would have enjoyed it, and you're not depressed. Just the, I have to pull myself out of the rut I've dug. Everything feels like obligation. Yes, everything Mm -hmm. feels. So, and that, there were, and so I was fully expecting to be miserable the entire time. And I was pleasantly surprised to only be miserable about, you know, 80% of the time. So, <laughs> right. Right. I know. So, it's a win. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I know one of the feedback loops that, that feeds my self in that depressive state is that I I feel bad for being who I am depressed in my relationships with those I care about. Right. You know, like particularly my family and my wife, like it's a very I, obvious burden on Yeah, and, and you don't deserve me to be like this. I don't like being like this. I wish I couldn't be like this, and I have no control over it. And, and, you, and, and there's still, while there is a reducing stigma, um, especially, I think, as, as a generational thing, I think more people are becoming aware in younger generations about mental health, where it was something that we were so uneducated about previously. But there's still this huge thing about, you know, if you, if you have a reason, like you are laid up, uh, with the flu or with cancer or, or you know, you break a leg and can't get around, you know, that's kind of like a, an acceptable reason to not, and to not participate to your fullest. Mm-hmm. But with depression, it's like people kind of give you a pass for a while and then... They get tired of it. There's nothing they can see and it just... There's no progress. And, yeah, and, and, yeah, and there's, you can't, and there's no, along the way, you can't measure and be like, oh, look, you're making progress. Like, it just kind of is and it isn't. And that's where, like, you know, kind of the high I grew on with the, with the opportunity when I, you know, when first I got this call back and I'm like, eh, I wasn't really interested in this job by the description in the ad, but I had applied to it. And then I talked to them and found out a lot more detail and got a lot more excited. Then met them, got into the culture, and I realized my interest was growing a lot. But my wife and I had this really rough conversation in that kind of extended period where they took longer than they said they would to get back to me about it. And we were both like, we're both kind of scared of what my depression is going to look like if this falls out. Like, is this going to be worse than if it hadn't happened? That happens a lot uh, with me because Misha's really good at picking up the slack when I'm down. But there's some days... You know, she can only do it for so long. Right. And I come home, and she's clearly cracking around the edges. And I don't got anything left. And I'm like, I have no guarantees that this won't be six more weeks. Like, what the fuck are we going to do? If mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I mean, Leah and I had some really serious conversations. Like, she's like, I know you're having a hard time, but I really need you to do this for me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, I'm going to do it. 
And at the same time, like normally doing things for my wife when I'm normal is like, yeah, shit. I'll climb a mountain. I'll right. like swim across the sound. <laughs> and it's and it's like I'm gonna do it because I really really need to, and I know she needs me to, and I hate every minute of it. Right. Right. And that fucking out. sucks because me in my normal place. I don't hate that. Right. I don't hate doing something I hate doing if my wife wants me to do it. Right. Yeah. And I can be like, this is something you normally like doing. I'm like, yeah, I still don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm going to somehow do it, and I'll, and I'll procrastinate the fuck out of it. And there's no way to explain it. <laughs> no. You can't, like, why don't you go, God, fuck, I don't know. I wish I had a button or some a variable that I could adjust. Blame the box of donuts or something. something. Yeah. Like, I wish I had something... That I would give me a little bit of an idea of what's going on, but yeah. it's just there. And that's something for listeners to keep in mind too. Like if you felt like that, like that's something to maybe see somebody about. All right, because it's not like if you're getting the blues to use that word. I got the blues over. My life is just normal. There's some, there's something to that, you know. And there, uh, we could get into the philosophy of it too. Uh, were you diagnosed? Depressed, de- depressive disorder, anything like that. Just no. you just feel it. You you've been through it. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. You, fairly self evident. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder how many. Just again, the weather here. It's called sad. We call it sad seasonal affective disorder. My wife gets it. My wife's been on depression medication because she grew up in Southern California. Moved here, you know. Just that depresses me. (laughs) (laughs) Right? When she's down there, her hair turns almost white with the sun, and she's just just almost just happy and a a different person in the summer as she goes down there. That hasn't affected me historically being up here. Like, I I get kind of antsy come the end of January, February, but but it's it's never been, like, what I would ever call depression before. But this, this, and and I hate to put, because this is the other thing, I think it's really dangerous to really say, here's the reason. I'm depressed because it's so effing complicated and sometimes there aren't obvious reasons but a a significant contributing factor to mine has to do with the breakdown of the relationship between myself and my parents and myself and my sister Mm -hmm. and there was an event uh, there were some things that were leading up and I ended up kind of writing a letter to my parents um, and my sister that I I held for a while and, and there was a little bit of closure to, to kind of a chapter in, in the tension in our relationship. And I really expected sending that letter was going to give me a lot of relief, and it did the opposite. Mm. Yeah. And, and so, you know, for, for those uh, who are listening that, you know, can't point to something, I totally get that. My, my wife struggled with a lot of depression that, that for years that wasn't around specific events. And, and some people can point to something, and I kind of do. But I know there are some other other factors too, and and that's what's so difficult about it is sometimes people try to make it environmental, make it about circumstance, and I would actually probably say in my observation with most people I know it's not about circumstance, but that can be a contributing factor that maybe changes its degree yeah. or its flavor. That too, yeah. Put some nails in the coffin, yeah, so to speak. So I'll I'll go uh, about depression. I I've been diagnosed with major depressive disorder and uh, ADHD and PTSD. So and I always thought I was bipolar. 
because I have these high ups. I have, a, I have the pendulum, man. And sometimes I, I'm low. I'm really low, and I don't want to do anything, and I just want to stay in bed. And it takes everything I can muster to get my ass out of bed to go to fucking work when I'm in that that low, bluesy, I guess you could call kind of state. And and so I, we're, I brought a bottle of scotch, you know. We're celebrating Arthur's win. He brought uh, some some beer, and it's it's funny my relationship with alcohol. Um, as a guy who's been through rehab, <laughs> and I, I call these my chemical romances with with some of these substances, but I'm realizing over the last few months of therapy, unpacking my relationship with alcohol, and the fact that my therapist is like, you know, you're you you. You've been de- you're depressed, man. Like you're you're sad. It doesn't look like sadness because you know how to. I've learned a way to be funny, and a lot of comedians are depressed all too. It's <laughs> just about all of them. All you of know? them. That's why they're, that's <laughs> why they're creative. Yeah, exactly. I, I just they laugh a lot. With Artie Lang, like mm. that guy's not going to be around much yeah, longer. No. But, yeah, but he's Artie Lang. He's he's hilarious. But yeah, but demons. there's something to that. Big time. Right? Yeah. So the, the depression doesn't always look like depression. Sometimes it looks like everyone's having a good time, and, and I've been that guy for a long time. And so I'm, I've joined what a, a research, <laughs> one of these clinical research companies who is exploring uh, a medication that's actually on the market now. I don't have the name. I still haven't looked at. I, I have. Uh, they give me all the paperwork. They on just give you the like drugs. You, just you know, you know, know what it is. I haven't the, taken them yet. Take these pills. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I'm not even. I'm not even accepted yet. But, uh, but they're paying me to do all this stuff and and to, to do all these papers and sign all this. Anyway, probably sugar pills. Anyway. You, you never know. Yeah, placebo. that was part of the thing. They said, hey, you could be taking placebo. You could be taking, like they said, two hundred milligrams or. 20 milligrams or 2 milligrams oh, you just milligram. don't know we're not going to, to tell you so some of that's interesting but the, side but I'm not a guinea pig in the fact that this thing is already on the market what they're actually testing in this this particular medication is the C word so they're, they're saying that they've had people that have been on it and got off it and have been cured from their clinical depression Oh, and that's what that's the C word. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a couple of yeah. yeah, not take this pill, you cunt. <laughs> not that. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, so they were hoping to cure you with gender reassignment. <laughs> hey, no. But I took a so I took an hour long freaking just grilling series of questions about depression. And that was really difficult. Mm-hmm. Leave no stone unturned, was, sort of thing. Oh, dude, it was almost as sad as listening to your neighbor's car uh, with the stereo on in the alley. Your neighbors are obnoxious to <laughs> Obnoxious. In case listeners hear that, there's we're in a garage. It's you know, shut up. We're talking about our depression in here. <laughs> that's right. I'm just seeing, and that's it's almost weird. Like my, I'm doing that because sometimes I I avoid it. Like I really do. Avoid the fact that I'm sad. I'm a sad, angry man, <laughs> and I laugh. Um, but yeah, those questions were were just um, how often? Like, do you ever find yourself um, not wanting to do the things that you usually want to do? Mm. Yes. How often? Uh, you know, and, and these questions just. She and the guy stops and and he sees me and I'm kind of like this about halfway through, you know, and he says, "You want to take a break?" And I go, 
no, I think I'm good. And he goes, dude, I've had, I've had people break down and just weep right now through this process. He goes, it's taxing, I get it. Well, it's like holding a mirror up to it and seeing the whole picture. Yeah. Now, and then he starts with the last, so the, the last half hour of questions is, so you've probably been depressed most all of your life. Now measure it against your big wins. Mm. And I'll ask you these questions. I'm just like, fuck. Like this is just, <coughs> this is just like I'm not, I'm not normal. And I get that. I've known that for a very long time. Um, I used to say on the other podcast that I'm, I'm a complete, utter disaster, slowly being rebuilt. And then, and then going through these series of questions, I'm like, I'm still kind of a disaster, <laughs> but I'm, I'm aware of it now, and and some of it has to do with trauma. You know, and I'm unpacking that. But that's a thing. So the trauma part is is what I'm exploring now. So people put labels on stuff that can be a direct result of, of trauma that's just buried deep in us. And a lot of us don't talk about it. And we keep it secret or we're embarrassed. I was embarrassed about my childhood sexual abuse. And I didn't tell anybody until I was 38. So it, it was just because, you know, the shame involved. And I'm, a, I'm the man and all this weird ego shit that I just couldn't tell anybody. But so I'm I'm realizing now through therapy that rest probably part of your drinking. Like I'm not I'm not an alcoholic to where I'm drinking myself unconscious every night and I'm counting that as my my non-alcoholism. But the fact that I would come home and have 3 4 5 or 6 beers to get me to a level of okay, I'm okay. I can be here. Just mm-hmm. be here with my wife watching television mm-hmm. is a thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my therapist is like, let's let's try this medication and see if it has you feel more like a normal person. And when you can just drink alcohol, maybe, you know. And I haven't been drinking a lot lately. My wife and I took a big break from alcohol, and I, I drink here, and that's about that's about all I've been really drinking lately. Sometimes I'll drink a, a beer at home maybe once or twice. But I'm having maybe four or five beers a week now where it was four or five beers a day. And uh, and so, so yeah, that's that's me going into to the medication part. Because Are I'm, you on the meds yet? No, I'm not on the meds. I haven't started yet. But uh, I've always been one of these guys who, what's the, what's the White Stripe song? I have no faith in medicine. <laughs> Girl, you have no faith in medicine. Um, that's been me. And so I'm going to finally, you know, to go into this. Call your doctor immediately if your anus ruptured. So you have to <laughs> yeah. That's why I haven't looked it up. That's why I haven't looked it up. That's why I don't know the name of the medication yet. Exactly. So I have a I have a team of people. Exactly. Well, maybe not eight hours. If you have an erection that lasts more than four hours, call up a friend and brag about it. Don't send me any dick pics. No. Look at this. It won't go away. This is rock hard. <laughs> but uh, where was I going with that? So I have a team of people that are watching Down my symptoms, my, uh, my 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 fucking side effects very closely. And my my the reason I don't know the name of the medication because I know I'd fucking Google it, and I would read all the side effects, <laughs> and then I would lament about oh fuck, you know that, that might be coming. You notice it's making your hair fall out, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's been going on a long time. John and I are the bald skinheads in the group. Yeah, man. To go to punk terminology. But we're not racist, so. No. I don't, I don't know if that helps. 
Steve, any any uh, you're you're the you're the chipper one. <laughs> Look at that smile! I wish everybody could see it. Steve has a pretty infectious smile. For me, in the mornings, uh, there are some mornings when it is a little bit of a struggle to get out of bed. But once I am in the shower, I am alive. Is that just because you're old, or it might be? <laughs> or, or is it always been? It might be. No, was I that, was that like it hasn't been, been always teenage years. And then no, I used to be able to sleep. You know, late. Yeah. Uh, now it's late seven o'clock for me. I mean, that is if my wife or daughter are, are out, up or awake for any reason, and I'm asleep at seven, they come in to make sure I'm not dead. But that's for me, and then I also find that exercise uh, yeah. is is. For me, it's really good. That's on the weekends. Um, I'm walking. You know, when I'm down on the waterfront, I'll walk for 30 minutes just to keep. I love, or go even in this in the uh, winter, I'll go down to the Aldwood Mall and walk because yeah. it's a controlled environment and you got Starbucks. Um, you, you're a mall walker. Like I'm a, I have become a mall walker. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And they know Part me the there now. Right. That's the crazy thing. There's yeah. a couple old timers, and then you know when somebody's not there. Thank God, I hope they didn't die. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's several. That, there's there's probably half dozen that are, that are full on walker. I mean, they had the walkers, mm-hmm. and you'll see them turn the walker around and sit in it. And uh, my dad uh, would been ninety this past dis or past uh, yeah December, and he refused to go to the mall and walk. My mom would love to walk. But my dad, no, I'm not going to be one of those. And that's that's what kind of we laugh at this. Stay alive. We laugh at this, but but you need to also understand in in our part of the country here in the United States, where it rains for so many months. Yeah, we have this phenomenon where we just talk about how it's like the season where we have neighbors. Mm -hmm. My wife and I talk about, and the season where we don't, where you literally only happen to see your neighbors if they happen to be getting in their car at the same moment as you. And then in the (laughs) summer, it's like you're out all the time. And, you know, we have, like, block parties, invite them over, and then then it's a good, like, ten months before we see them again. Come about April, everybody kind of gets out of their house and, like, oh, hey, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in six months. (laughs) (laughs) Let's catch up. Literally, you live right next, you live, like, 30 feet from me. But let's catch up. So yeah. true. It so, is true. So here, like while mall walking may sound really strange in some parts of the country, maybe like you know in Minneapolis where there's tons of snow on the ground and, and walking outside consists of you know snowshoes, or here in Seattle where it consists of being wet and cold. Yeah, it, it does make a little bit of sense. I talked to a guy, and you get some actual social interaction. They got the Mall of America there. That's, That's true. A it's a sweet mall. <laughs> I talked to a guy in Texas who was like, it, "It's sort of the same thing down there, only in the summer." <laughs> well, the summer, nobody sees their neighbors and goes outside. Air yeah, exactly, because it's 150 degrees, and and they have the same sort of. We were talking about socially awkward. Like some people here are socially awkward because of it. They just don't go outside or interact with other people. Uh, there's something to that, but yeah, but that's I walk too. I'm trying to walk at least once a week and keep that going. It's also my blood pressure is is bad. So, yeah, keeping my my legs. You just need more meds, man. <laughs> just, hey. just take them couple, things like M&M. couple of years ago. Mine was two twenty over one thirty. Whoa! <laughs> so speaking of, I like, just on a lot of meds now. My things you do to help. Damn. Speaking of things you do to help, so I kind of did an inventory recently of of all the things that I do, and it's kind of you know 
I feel like as I'm getting older, one, my capacity to actually stay on a schedule gets mm. easier, but also, like, I feel like I need it more. Like, I just have to have rhythms, and I can't. If I get outside of them, I... So I just got yeah, a me too. ton of stuff <laughs> now, and I Keep gotta, the, like... Uh, rituals or, or yeah, routines, yeah. routines are yeah. important. So I've completely given up drinking. I found... I think part of it's the medication I'm on. Oh, yeah. I found if I take a... Like, even just one beer the next day, I'm fucking down. Just really, oh, yeah, really Like, the closest I've been to suicidal thoughts has been recently, if I drink. Mm. Like, bad. Real bad. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, so, and I started really taking the no sugar thing serious. And it does seem to help quite a bit. Mm. I've lost a lot of weight, which is nice. That's also helpful. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm... What a, according to medicine, an actual healthy male is supposed to look like, which is kind of like even just going around. Like, I was thinking about this the other day, like at the YMCA and looking at other guys my own age and seeing their bodies, like that, you know, just normal healthy body just doesn't exist. No, no. <laughs> not in America. Like, we're literally, yeah, like some of the worst. Unless you're 20 years old, I think there's something. Yeah, I'm talking about, I'm talking about you know, 30s. Yeah, exactly. Like 40s, you're just like everybody's carrying 30, 40, 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. It's dad bod. Yeah, <laughs> dad bod. Uh, or hashtag dad bod. If you're not, if you're not overweight, you're either super yoked or super skinny. Like, there's nobody that's just like, hey, yeah. like, you're kind of in the middle. You're at that ideal BMI. You've got all, you've got the fat and the and the muscle and the bone kind of at a nice balance. Anyways, that's it. Derek's got us all in categories. I've got it. It's yeah. like that George Jetson body. It's like fat and skinny. Right. <laughs> Finny. <laughs> Finny. <laughs> uh, skinny fat guys. Um, yeah, so, and I've just got a bunch of stuff. And like I said, and part of it's really bad when none of those work. It almost makes things... It doesn't make things actually work, but it almost feels worse. Like, I've got all this stuff, and I'm doing it and trying really hard, and it's even that's not working, which really fucking sucks. Um, yeah, and I got the medication, and sleep is a huge thing for me. Like, I gotta just get to bed at the same time every night. Yeah. Um, I've pretty much had to give up sleeping in on the weekends, which is a hard one for me, because that was kind of... That was a big deal growing up. My mom loved sleeping in, and she like kind of trained us all to sleep in, and that was the reward of the weekend, was sleeping as long as you wanted to. And I still got this mindset of, like, that's the reward of, of making it through the week, because I get to sleep as long as I want, and I just it's just not good for me at all. So it's time to get up on the weekends. Then. I, so, I mean, ideally, I... For work, I get up at 6.15 I kind of let my alarm go for a little while. So it's actually closer to 6.45 by the time I get out of bed. But I wake myself up. And then on the weekends, I'm trying to get up at like 7.30. Uh, but recently, again, because I'm depressed and I don't want to get up and it's going to do hard things, I've been getting up at like you know 8.30 or 9.00 and that just destroys the whole rest of the day. I just feel like shit. You want to meet for breakfast this Saturday? What? Yeah. <laughs> so you want to be for Saturday? Um I'll come pick you up. Yeah, but we have to have something without sugar. Good luck doing that for breakfast. <laughs> eggs. Yeah. Uh, eggs and bacon, baby. That's right. Well, that's why I, I'm a Midwest boy. I've thought about doing Uber. Fuck sweet things, man. Let's go get some biscuits and gravy. My wife will sleep. Okay. Till noon. Right. And you're like, what are we going to do? And I'm up. You know, I'm up. Just and, I'm out of the house by six. Right. Mm. And so 
I could get up. You gotta easily. wear that. You gotta wear that cap though when you're driving. Oh, I can do it. Yeah, <laughs> I just got a driving cap right now. Can't get that guy well, caddy. This dude, I saw you're on Facebook at four thirty. Sometimes I can't sleep, and that's why I just really? go to work because there's there's people want to ride sure. at four thirty in the morning. There's rides out there. It's crazy. And you're Facebooking and driving. Yes. Am I in traffic? Traffic's bad. Lights, all that stuff. I do. <laughs> traffic bad. I use a lot of the voice recognition stuff. I don't type. You know, I use a button. Traffic bad at four thirty. Sometimes, yeah. yeah, it's fucked up. It is. That's so bad. It's so bad. It is bad. It's bad around here. But I heard that so it's something like thirty-five hundred people are moving here a month. Yeah, it's bad for the last two years to the Seattle area because of all the. I mean, we're, we're booming. Seen? It's boom times here in the Seattle area. Yeah. But yeah, it's, we it's housing prices are. No. Crazy. Have you seen how many towers they're building in Seattle yeah, right now? No, how many no. ones they have planned and planned? Yeah, that's yeah. Nuts. It's ridiculous. And then they just opened one and they put up for lease, and then and then Amazon was just like, we'll oh, take the whole thing, Mindsies. Yeah, <laughs> just like <laughs> we'll buy the whole we'll thing. Just, we'll just get it. Yeah, that that actually thing. is probably the like the cherry on top of my job is that it's just not in Seattle or no. Bellevue or yeah. it, it's close. It's yeah, granted hard it's, to find right it, now. It's four times the commute I've been driving, but four times five is not a big number. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. This episode started pretty dark, but we buoyed up nicely. Yeah, we're yeah, we talking did. about commuting. <laughs> yeah. commuting. But if I could bring it back down a little bit. <laughs> you know, less than two topics like sitting in traffic. Well, we, we touched on comedians. <laughs> let, me, let me touch on a different art form, which is music. So the blues is birthed out of pain and depression. And one of my favorite bands, Metallica, which is kind of a good segue, um, James Hetfield and the guy that wrote a lot of the songs dealt with a lot of spiritual abuse, you know, in his family. And his dad was a, a minister that ended up walking out on his mom when she had cancer. Uh, you know, oh, that's that's what religion's about, or that's what Jesus is about. And, and and I wanted to touch on that a little bit because I think that when you get into spiritual abuse and faith constructs. Faith with a small f. <laughs> I mean, that's that. That can bring on depression. I mean, we see that. John and I are going through a, a kind of uh, a therapy called EMDR, and some of that, I'm starting to realize that some of the some of the voices, the dark voices from my past, are, you know, this construct that I had that God is this loving Father. Oh, but He'll send you to eternal yeah. darkness and yeah. damnation forever. Oh, yeah. But he loves you. Yeah. You know, it's just fucked up. The schizophrenic Janus face God that yeah. is that system. Yeah. yeah. And I grew up in you whiplash, man. It's like, what? Yeah. And I, and I didn't know what to do with myself. Like, uh, oh, I guess I'm going to hell. Might as well go for it, you know? It was kind of my attitude. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, on the next episode of Punk Theology, we were able to meet with uh, Pete Rollins, who is a... Uh, philosopher, uh, writer. He's read a bunch of books. He's a big fucking deal, but he is. You were kind of crazy. To- yeah, it was really cool that we, he spent some time with us, and and uh, we were really fortunate to to have him sit down with us for at big minimum. So <laughs> we're, not, we're not sure how this is going to sound. Just picture yourself 
at the bar with us, punks. <laughs> with Peter Roller. <laughs> and the smart, Peter, way smart Irish guy. <laughs> yeah, the smart Irish guy, yes. Um, who talks about, you know, uh, existentialism. He's kind of an existential, existential theologian and philosopher. Um, and he had me thinking, I, I wrote some notes down on this. Um, the older we get, the more life experience we get, the more suffering happens. Um, and it tends to wear us down in our, our, in our affirmation of just living another day or our affections for life. And, and there's something to that, too. The older I get, you know, it's just shit that happens. I got a ticket the other day. Oh. And, and I was going to therapy. I was speeding because I was late, late to get to therapy. I told my therapist about it. And she goes, well, she goes and this was another honest thing that I had to to face too about my depression uh, she goes well how did you feel and I said honestly and I just said it I go I just wanted to, to be dead I would have been fine being dead at that point at that moment and she goes forgive me a ticket I go yeah it's just another fucking thing and then just mm. in that moment and then because I was telling her and there was another half hour of unpacking my my fear of EMDR, some of the sessions of going into that space, um, I just started bawling after I said it, after I voiced it, yeah. that I had suicidal thoughts yeah. over getting a fucking ticket. It's $93. It's not a big deal. But to, to me, in that moment, I just wanted to fucking die. One Another straw. Yeah. yeah. Another straw. And I think that's what Rollins was touching on that. Just as life goes on, it's kind of it's somewhat normal for human beings to, you know, our, we start to wear down. Did he say this in the when he was speaking, or was it at McMinnon's when he said, "None of us are okay, and that's okay." <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I can't remember which. Yeah, because we saw him at the at uh, Eastlake Church. He he did a a, a thing uh, was speaking at Eastlake Church and. And we met with him afterwards for for a few beers at McMinniman's. And that really resonated with me uh, as the fact that, okay, I'm not okay, but it's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, you we realize sh- most people aren't. Yeah, <laughs> and, and we, we kind of bantered that a, ba- a bit at McMinniman's. Um, McMinniman's. McMinniman's. <laughs> Sorry, it's going to be Anderson insane. School. It's, the, it's, it's like an adult play, playground down there. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't go that far. But, but he said, <laughs> it's like, when you get that and you understand that and then you begin to love yourself, you can be, you don't have to be right and you, it's okay and you can be wrong because it's not based upon you're trying to present this image. Mm-hmm. I can't remember, like I said, it's... Yeah. One thing that struck me this year that's relatively... Well, maybe within the past couple of years, but when I would ever hear of someone in my age range, or maybe like a you know thirty-five to fifty age span, where someone would kill themselves or you know have suicidal ideation, I, I it, never before in my life had I had that made any sense to me. So I was like, I just don't get it. Like, why is it that bad? And for the first time in the past couple of years, like, yeah, I get it. Like I get how you get off yourself. Life's fucking hard. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. like I just started to kind of get it. You know, yeah. like I, I wasn't so uh, removed from it or something. Right. Like, so He's trying to get angry. Know. I get pissed off. Somebody killed him. It's like what a 
What a selfish act. I used to get like that. I don't anymore. I used to. Me too. I, and then now for me, it's more empathy. It just yeah. like, yeah, man, I get it. It's hard. Really yeah. fucking hard. I would dovetail off that idea that if there's anybody who has listened to this whole episode now and, and doesn't struggle with depression, I've been working with a theory um, that we as a society... Uh, at least in the United States, and I suspect this this transfers to a lot of the the first world countries, where where we respect human safety in a lot of physical ways, and we acknowledge um, deep traumas uh, with with newfound attention, you know, a la the the Me Too movement currently going on, yeah, or other yeah. things like that. But but one of the things that I think that we're a more lot of, transparent as a culture, right? Yeah, and 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 we're and we're acknowledging the impact that those kind of things have, those big yeah. traumas on, on the idea of mental health specifically. Yeah. So for a long time, you know, we've we've respected the idea of you know physical safety, and we've been trying to improve that. You know, we have ridiculous you know <laughs> levels of of government regulation now to physically protect people in dangerous work environments and all that kind of stuff. Where we've gone really far in that, but. But there's this idea that I've been kind of rattling around in my head now where it's kind of the idea of the death of a thousand cuts but applied to mental health where where maybe you're the kind of person who's getting into your middle age years and you don't have any one specific thing that's just or two or three like some people I know you know just that have had literally a dozen or more uh, severe traumas but there's all these little things that build up where you think Hey, I've never had to do deal with any of that big crap, mm-hmm. and I'm fine. And you're fine all the way up until you're not. Yeah. And then it breaks. And and that was even reiterated to me, going back to my my job thing, where I really realized how distasteful a certain amount of disrespect, um, and the small things that just piled up over a decade of working for the same company just made it very distasteful and very to stay any longer. And I and I think that that. That had a much bigger effect than I was conscious of until it was revealed through some some things that happened through the counteroffer process and, and working through that. But I, I think that applies to mental health too, where we don't really we think we're invincible. Uh, you know, especially I think I think guys generally just have it easier in life. Uh, because you're male and well and you know we're a bunch of white dudes and yeah our our life is easier and we don't think that small things should affect us and, yeah and that should word is a big one isn't it, it is and, yeah. and and we think like and and we also want to posture that whole we're tough we can take it exactly. kind of thing and we we kind of it doesn't kill me uh, makes me stronger yeah and that and that oh Damn. that hurt but you know it's not really that big of a deal well though there's a cumulative effect. There is. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that we haven't explored much yet with mental health is that cumulative effect over the course of a lifetime where you've just been putting up with stuff and not really dealing with it or facing it. And sometimes even doing it ongoing because you just don't consider some of what you're experiencing to be a big deal. Yeah. And one of the things I'm trying to work through as my kids enter into teenage years is how I can counsel them to not only protect their physical safety going forward, but also their mental health and what that would look like. And, and I haven't found the science behind that, and I don't know that we even have it yet because I think we're, we're only now starting to really study the, the big factors in mental health, much less the little ones. And so I'm going to be shooting in the dark, and I'm just not the kind of person that likes to do that. 
<laughs> but it seems like a plausible theory to me that you can get to that place of depression not only through big trauma or through chemical imbalance, but also through little trauma and, and that death of a thousand cuts kind of thing. And, yeah. and to be conscious of, of protecting yourself from, from not horrible situations, but just ones that are unhealthy and ongoing. Yeah. yeah. I sometimes struggle with guilt for what you're talking about because circumstantially my life is I I mean pretty damn good. And I that so that that sometimes results in me feeling guilty for my mental health issues. Yeah. You know, like dude, that helps, right? And that should work. <laughs> no, better, it doesn't. Right? Oh, oh, okay. No, no guilt guilt's useless. We tackled that last week. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the most I don't know, deadly combinations would be when someone's so you know to use the analogy of burdens, you know the two type of burdens. You have a, a backpack that's filled with a, one giant rock, or you've got a backpack that's filled with a whole bunch of sand. Pebbles, and right? Sand, yeah. yeah, that's built up over time. And one thing that's fairly common when people are dealing with depression or first doing like EMDR or something like mm-hmm. that is uh, they're focused on this rock that they've got, right? And they're they feel like they're drowning, and they could, they just got to get this thing taken care of. And they work and they work and they work, and they get the rock off and they expect a rebound. But they've also got 200 pounds of sand. <laughs> yeah. And they haven't even thought about that. That was <laughs> not a pound rock. Right. Yes. Yeah. And 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 so they expect to be able to just rebound and shoot for the surface and recover. And and like that's the most depressing moment. Yeah. Is like fuck. It just magnifies like, the yeah, other Like I've got yeah. so much other shit. Yeah. to get through before yeah and that's and that's I mean that's, I think that's when a lot of people give up right sure that's like, when I, I that, that was my last alcohol's easier yeah. <laughs> so is antidepressants right? that was my last session with my therapist like the the two sessions that I went through with EMDR were, were actually really good and I had this weird weight lifted off me which is still not there which that's is, awesome. was good that yeah. is awesome and I count that as, as that's that's good that's a good thing but I go into my therapist's office. I go. So the the hardest part is behind us now, right? <laughs> like I could. I, I, like that was the hardest cured, shit right? that we went through those two those two sessions. Like that was some deep fucking hard shit. I go. Please don't tell me we're scratching the surface. And she took a deep breath and she looks at me and goes, "We're just scratching the surface, man." Yeah. You know. And, and I uh, even asking the question, you already knew that was the answer. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, I seriously thought that, and it's sort of like I was. I'm going back to Derek's rock analogy because I think that the rock in the backpack I thought was the thing, and now that the rocks removed, you know, you think about like in space they have these this quantified mass, mm-hmm. like something that was this little pebble is actually heavier than that fucking rock that came out, and it's still in there, and we got to deal with that, you know. And uh, you know, you get into like soul integration and, and all this. So so it's daunting, but it's it's good work. It's hard work. That's one thing she said, though, is that we have time. And I'm not going to rush you. And we don't have to do EMDR today. We can just talk. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's great. You know, I take a deep breath, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. But she goes, eventually, yeah, you're going to be here. I'm going to pull you into this. We're going to go into this. We're going to do this as this work. But just know that you're okay, and you're going you're gonna to live, you know. Um, but the guilt thing, it was a big part of it. And we did talk about some of my theology growing up mm-hmm. and how how the, the younger me really believed some dark things about the creator of the universe right. hating me or loving me slash hating me, which is totally freaking confusing. 
Um, when I when I interviewed Wendy, uh, Reverend Wendy, who was on the podcast a few episodes ago, something that she said about deconstruction, and that's part of why a lot of people are listening to this podcast too, is people that are kind of gravitating towards this this idea of deconstructing their faith or or realizing the the parts of it that aren't working and and flushing some of that out. Um, she said. She says something brilliant. She goes, it wasn't just me deconstructing this religion thing that's out here. She goes, it was me deconstructing yeah. myself. Right. Yeah. Like, this is my identity. This stuff goes in. I'm like, oh, wow, that is so true. You know, because you, you don't realize that it's not just, it's not just out there. It's, it's almost, you know, it's, it's like a heartbreaking relationship that you had with some, some God that really doesn't exist. Uh, and that's where religion builds fences. That's know? so intuitive. That that idea. Yeah, I, I would I would relate to that heavily, and also realize that I was almost blind to that when that was happening. Mm-hmm. Right. That for me, it was deconstructing the idea and the theory and the and and everything behind it, and not not until well afterwards realizing that no, that was that was me. Right. And I just. You thought it was a system. I just tore yeah. I just tore the house down and I'm rebuilding a new one. Yeah, yeah. And that's something Roland said. He said that religion builds fences and those fences are useful for a time. Yeah. You know, until they break. <laughs> and they all do. They all eventually they it's, all eventually break. It's the hardest thing to explain to people that are still in the fence are still in a system mm-hmm. that maybe works for them, or maybe it doesn't, or maybe they're afraid to ask questions. That's why this this talk is important because some of those folks are dealing with depression and they don't know whether they should see a doctor because getting sure. pills is or sinful or whatever their church believes. They're trying to hold it together, keep it together. Yeah, be obedient. Or they just John. think Jesus is going to heal them. Yeah, and you could do that like for a while. He would if they had cancer, mm-hmm. which he might if you believe that. But it's you still go to the season. doctor. But you still go to the doctor, yeah. It's just a season. Because Jesus gave us doctors <laughs> if he exists. I, I even That's, remember... Coming from the atheist, at least go to the fucking doctor. <laughs> Jesus I, Christ. I even remember being in this system where maybe it, at one point it worked for me on some level and looking at people that had deconstructed it or gone outside it, and I didn't get it. I didn't get it at all. And that's the thing that's that's so hard to explain. It, it's not a theological thing. It's not like a, you just need to pray harder, or you know, you're the one in sin or wrong or whatever. When you shift, it moves. It's yeah. so hard oh, yeah. to explain until you've gone through it. Like, yeah. no, I've left the fucking building. Like, yeah. I. I I like how Rob Bell explained it. It's like the toothpaste came out of the yeah, tube. Yeah, you can't get it back in. And back it's not going back tube. in. It's so yeah. hard to explain to someone that's still. It's a holy in, shift. Holy shift. Holy shift. That's right. <laughs> that's a, that's so, a thing they're doing. So, Derek, where are you at right now? Where do you go from here? Is this a waiting game? Are you looking actively for new things to add to your quiver of rituals you've already tried? Do you need us to do anything for you? Do the rituals depress you? That you're like, you're describing yourself as kind of a high-maintenance person that needs a lot of self-care. Is that depressing? Yeah, that's a... I mean, there's definitely a... I shouldn't have to fucking do this just to fuck off. (laughs) Just to function, yeah. Right? Like, I want fucking carbohydrates. (laughs) Like, this is... 
this cauliflower is not rice. <laughs> like it just is. It's not mashed potatoes. <laughs> right. It's not mashed potatoes. It's not rice. I want to, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's depressing. Where do I go from? I mean, how can you help? <clears throat> let me let, let me read something by, by this philosopher before you answer that because this is really interesting to me and it hit me too. Um, Schopenheimer is this old Schopenhauer. philosopher. Schopenhauer. Yeah. Okay. He's probably German, right? Or something. Anyway. <laughs> He said Austrian. Just like Arnold. Just like Arnold. Let's put another shrimp on the bar. That's Australian. I know. I know. It's a dumb and dumber joke. That's right. Okay. He said. He said this, and I thought this was brilliant. He said the pendulum. There's a pendulum, and it swings somewhere between. This sounds. This sounds horrible and dark, by the way, but it's it's kind of true. Um, he says that there's a pendulum in us that swings between depression and melancholy, right? So depression says, I can't get what I want, kind of like you were talking about with the carbs. Like if I eat these, if I eat these sugary foods, it's going to make me feel better, but it'll make me feel better for a little while. And then you realize that you don't, and then and that's, that's the, the melancholy thing, it part. It totally does. Yeah. It does make you feel better yeah. for like 10 minutes. Yeah. And then you feel fucking terrible. Yeah. And then you have to go eat some more carbs. In Alaska, we used to call that peeing your pants to keep your backside warm. <laughs> it was yeah. just tempting because it would work for a little while. Right. And then go really fucking bad. Yeah. I'm into that. But that's the melancholy part. So the, the, the pendulum of depression to melancholy is I really want this thing. I want this girl. I want this job. I want this thing. And then we no, get it. That's the depression part. Or we don't get it. We don't get it. That's the depression part. The melancholy is when the melancholy is when you get it, and it doesn't satisfy. And we're all we're usually on that pendulum throughout our whole entire lives, according to this philosopher. But I think there's some truth to that, right? Because everybody who lands the big job or gets the big thing or gets the thing that they think was going to save them, make them happy. It Fuck doesn't. you, I'm going to like my job. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> You're going to love your job. For but at least two weeks. For at least two weeks. And then you'll realize the cracks. Then but then take up cocaine. But, and, that's the, and that's the part of, of being adulting, right? As the millennials call it. Um, realizing that life is, you know, one day at a time. I guess that's my thing. It's the weirdest thing. It goes back to my... 12-step recovery, but I hold to that. Well, I think Victor Frankl had some good insights hours. where we try to find happiness, but really what we should be doing is finding meaning, right. and yeah. lots of meaning, and, yeah. and you know, happy, don't chase after happiness, that's empty, but find meaning, yeah. and you don't always find pleasure in the things that give you meaning, because the things that give you meaning can be arduous or hard work at times, but, but it, it pays off, because there's meaning in it, That's right, and that's Gonna the meaning of life is giving life meaning. I think that was his quote. <laughs> so what, what were you going to say, Dirk? Uh, ways you guys can help me. Yeah. Uh, that was only one of the questions. Yeah, let's see. Uh, don't cut me off mid-story to talk about shopping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get through the, the thing. Anyway. Uh, I think it's just kind of an understanding. I don't know. Like... Like well, I like, do you want to go out Saturday morning? Is that going to help you? Do you do you want me to so push you? So those are two different like, questions. Here's uh, the relationship. Do I want to go out Saturday morning? Probably not. Will it help me? There's a chance that it could help me. Will it make it worse if I'm pressuring you to interact with me socially when you don't really want to? Not you, because I can tell you to fuck off and you'll be okay with it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
And I'll probably just ask again even sooner if you do that. Right. Then he'll call me and then I'll ask and then you can tell me to fuck off. Yeah. (laughs) I've been trying to collect fucks to give, so if you can give me some fucks. Okay, there you go. Arthur needs a fuck jar. I don't have any fucks either, but I can create some to give to you. Ooh, that's like the quantum (laughs) physics of fucks. It is. So, tongue firmly planted in cheek, can we give you our thoughts and prayers? Uh, <laughs> honestly. No, Ch- only Chuck's work. Fuck that you all. Like, Chuck's not here. That doesn't. My mom tells me sh- she'll pray for me, but she can do it in a way that's not yeah. cheesy. And it feels good. Like. And, like. Like, it's not the end of a conversation. Like, I don't no. know what to say, so I'm saying I'll pray for you. Yeah, and it's not like. She says it in a way that's not... I mean, a part of it is like, I actually believe this will fix this. But more of it is like, said in like, I genuinely care about yeah. you. And yeah. I'm going to take some time out of my day to empathize with you mm-hmm. and feel the pain that you're feeling. Yeah. Okay, and, good. and yeah, you're on my mind. And I just want you to know that I genuinely, truly care about you yeah. as a person. And that's always helpful. I mean, that that's helpful even when I'm... High as a kite, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. That's the that's the fucking goal, right? Mm-hmm. Is to have people in your life that say that to you on a regular. We'll know that we care for you. Thanks. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, it. we do. Without question. We love you, brother. Thanks. That'll be uh, stop. There you go. Thank you for listening to Punkology. I think the worst time to have a heart attack is during a game of charades. That's a huge bitch. Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Don't forget to subscribe, like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound. Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Don't check it out! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh.